How many of you know that there's a lot of bad stuff that's supposed to happen at the end, but there's a lot of good stuff too. Amen. We don't have to fear the bad stuff because we know what our God, what good our God has prepared for us. Amen. Um, I shared this uh, verse a couple of weeks ago and I'm led to start it again. Uh, John chapter 14, starting at verse 1. Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's informed them that he's not going to be around much longer. And obviously that doesn't sit well with them. They're a bit disturbed, they're upset, they're troubled. And Jesus speaks into that. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. A lot of times that's just the crux of the matter, isn't it? You know, Stephen and Andrea, what they just went through, circumstances make it hard. Circumstances are troubling. Circumstances can be problematic and sometimes it just comes down to believing in God and believing also in Jesus. Sometimes you have no reason to look at the circumstances and find peace but then you remember who God is and you remember your Lord and Savior and what he's capable of and somehow peace can come upon you in the midst of the storm. Amen? So let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And I'll just stop it right there. That where I am, you may be also. Now, he is not speaking to the whole house of Israel right here. He's speaking to his disciples. He's speaking to his followers. People like you and I, we are the church. We are his followers. And he's telling them what's going to happen, but that he's got to go. He's going to prepare a place for them, but he's going to return for us. Take us unto himself. This isn't necessarily, you know, I think when we talk about the second coming of Christ, we talk about end times, we're going to have to learn to discern and separate out references to the rapture from his second coming. But I just want to hone on here that he makes a promise to his believers, to his followers. I got to go and prepare a place for you. I've got a future secured for us. I got to go do what's necessary to be done, but then I'm going to come back for you. Then I'm going to take you unto myself. And I believe the Apostle Paul gives a little more detailed account of Jesus' promise to return for his followers. In 1 Thessalonians, let's go there. Those of you who have your Bibles, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And he says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. Now, he's saying asleep here, but our term for that would be those who have died in the Lord. Remember, uh, before I go on, if we hearken back to what I just read in, in John chapter 14, the promise of Jesus is hanging out there. All of his followers are aware of the fact that he has said that he's going to go and prepare a place. 
He told him he was going to die. He was going to have to suffer for the sins of the world. There was no other way for it to be done. He's going to have to leave, but that he would return. And so I read last week in Acts where he showed himself proving that he had resurrected to his disciples and then he was left and then he left on a cloud to go into heaven and sit on the right hand of the Father. The promise is still hanging out there, but he's going to return for us. People are hoping in that. His followers, they're probably wondering when, when. They, 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 he didn't give them a time. He didn't give them a date. They're just ever hoping that it's going to happen. And many of them probably are expecting it to happen in their lifetimes. You know how we are, human nature. After time passed, we go from all pious and full of faith and everything to start getting a little grumpy. Start getting a little worried. Where is he? Why hasn't he come yet? What's he waiting on? Is this thing going to happen? Over time, people began to die who had heard that promise. People who were believing on it. And people began to wonder, oh my goodness, he's, he said he's going to come back. My brother, who was a fellow believer, is dead. My wife, who was a fellow believer, is dead. My son, who was a fellow believer, is dead. Are, are, are they going to miss his return? What does that mean for them? And while I'm thinking about it, what does that mean for me? What if I don't make it? What if he doesn't come back before I die? And Paul has to lean into that and he has to address it. So he comes in and says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep or who have died in the Lord, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. He start, I love it. What he's, I love how he introduced that. One, he gives the purpose for what he's about to go into concerning the promise that the Lord made. One, he doesn't want them to be ignorant. He doesn't want them to be uninformed. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. And he doesn't even finish the sentence before he gives us his second reason. That you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So I don't want you to be uninformed and I don't want you to be grieving without hope. He's got some heavy reasons for doing this. This stuff is real. And he's meeting them where they're at. All of us can relate to them. If we were there, if we had heard that promise from the Lord, if we had heard that promise propagated in that time, there would come a time when we will begin to wonder as we see fellow believers die, how long, Lord, and what does it mean for those who have already died? We got those questions and praise God for a leader who's not afraid to lean into that. But he wants them to be informed and he wants them to grieve with hope. How many of you know there is a difference between grieving with hope and grieving with no hope? If I have a non-believing loved one that's gone, that's already died, that, that hits different than someone who has died in the Lord. Because I know I'll see them again, and I know we shall ever be with the Lord for, forever. But the loved one who has died apart from God is going to be separated from him forever. And that hits hard. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, how many of you believe that? Should have seen every hand up in here. Come on now. All right. Uh, after this series, we're going to be doing Faith 101. <laughs> but 
For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Think about that. Now think about if Jesus died and rose again, and we believe that, then surely we believe that about those who have died in him, that they're going to that they're, that they're going to be raised just like he did. Amen. He will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. I'm not going to finish that passage yet. I'm going to finish the message with the rest of that passage. Because it, it, it's too good, and um, I just feel led to, uh, uh, to wrap that up. You know what? Y- y- y'all won't mind if I come back to it. If I read it now and come back to it later, will you? I'll go ahead and read it. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. See, I'll cover this probably next week or in the coming couple of weeks, but you can tell this is not the second coming of Christ here because when the second coming of Christ happens, the whole world is going to see it. And he's actually going to come down to earth. In this one, we're meeting him in the air. So this isn't, this isn't the second coming that we, that we read about in other passages. This is between him and the church. Everybody is not going to experience this. Everybody's not going to see this happen. It's going to happen, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but in a twinkling of an eye. There's going to be a shout. The voice of an archangel. Not everybody's going to hear that. Those who are in the Lord will. And those who are dead in Christ, they're going to raise. He said, how are they going to do that? Uh, you tell us that when we die, we go, to be the, we go to be with him in heaven, and yet right here it says that the dead in Christ is going to rise. I started to mess with y'all and say, I don't know. But we're, we're created in the image of God. We are a triune being in the image of a triune God. The real you, the real me, is spirit. We have a soul and we live in a body. Right? Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom. Right? When we die to go to be with God, our spirit goes to be with him. The thing that housed us is buried or cremated or whatever you choose to do, right? But there's going to come a time when the Lord returns, when he calls us up to be with him, we will get glorified bodies. Whether you're dead already when he comes or whether you're alive when he comes. If he's going to take you to be with him in the place he's prepared for you, we cannot, I can't go up there with this. All right? We can't go up there in the bodysuit that we're in right now. This is corruptible. So there's not really the 
conflict that it appears that it is when you understand how we've been created and you understand that that we couldn't in our current form go up to heaven but when we those of us who die in the Lord the real us is going up there and when Jesus comes and we hear that trumpet and we meet him in the air the dead in Christ they're the real them is going to come with him and then they're going to get a new body. We, I hope it's we who are alive when he comes, but I can't guarantee that. I'm just going to speak it as if that's going to be the case. If he came today, those of us who are alive when he comes will be transformed into our new bodies. And it says you're not going to precede the dead in Christ first. They're going to go up first. And we're going to follow them up. We're going to be like him, and, and, and so shall we ever be with him. Amen? And that rapture, we're going to get into this a little bit more, but that rapture is going to precede the period that is referred to as the tribulation. That's not this week's message, so we're going to leave that alone right now. Let's uh, go to 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. It contains some of the data, some of the information that I've already referenced in this passage. It says, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we shall be changed. That's basically the scriptural version of what I just said. All right? They died perishable. Obviously, right? They died. So they were perishable, right? They're going to be raised imperishable. The body that they're going to have, having been raised, will be imperishable. That body will not have the taint of sin. It will not have the taint of death. Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? It, it, it will no longer be perishable, and then we will be changed as well from perishable to imperishable. To me, that's exciting. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on, the, puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? See, we haven't gotten into the fullness of that yet. Because it's appointed unto every man to die, right? Praise God, Christ paid the ultimate price for our sins. He's our redeemer. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law. But these bodies are perishable. These bodies cannot inherit the kingdom. So death is a must. Is a must. Are you hearing me? But in death is not finality. It is not the final step. Right? It's, it's, it's necessary for the metamorphosis. You know, like from the the butterfly coming out of the chrysalis or whatever you, whatever you call that thing. We're not 
different, we're still us because the real us is the spirit being inside, right? So, so, so we don't become someone different, but we take off mortality. And we put on immortality. Things go back to the way they were intended to be when God created man and woman in the first place, before sin entered in. Death came by way of sin. The wages of sin is death. But in that moment, the effect of sin, death, all those things, death having been injected in us through sin, all vestiges of it are done away with. Then shall come to pass that saying, in its fullness, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Praise God. And that's why I look forward to the coming of the Lord. You know what? I will take whatever hardships are out there. I'll take whatever issues are in society and all those other things. If we have to endure what we have to go through, what we've been having to go through in these, in these uh, past years or so, so be it. I'm not going to let anything, I'm not going to let COVID, I'm not going to let any kind of wars and rumors of wars and all this other stuff, I'm not going to let any of that put a damper on my joy because the joy of the Lord is my strength. I, you know, that doesn't matter what is happening in the world today or what I'm confronted with, what I'm reading in 1 Corinthians 15, that's cause for joy. And if I don't have the bank account that I want or the job that I want or the life that I want, I still have reason to praise the Lord because of what we're reading here today. Because he's coming back like he said he would. He's coming back with a shout, with the voice of an archangel. And you know what? I don't know what it's going to, I don't know what that shout's going to be. I know you and I are going to hear it. And we're going to be compelled. It's not going to be a choice. When it happens, we're just going to be caught up. Like a tractor beam. We're just going to be caught up. And he's going to suck us up to him, and we're going to be transformed. As it's happening, mortality is going to fall off. Immortality is going to be put on, and we're going to be with our Lord. And when that happens, we don't got to worry about cancers. We don't got to worry about life expectancies. We, gotta, we, we, we don't have to worry about crime and, 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 and all manner of sins. We don't have to worry about that because all will be made as it was intended to be before sin entered in. Amen? And there's not a thing Satan or anybody else can do about it. Isn't it any wonder that scripture says that we are more than conquerors through Christ Jesus who loves us. Amen? Death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? It's gone. It's no more. It's been swallowed up. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. See, I love how Paul writes. He gives us these amazing truths. He removes the confusion about what it means if we believe for his return and we die before his return. He, he, he informs them because he doesn't want them to be uninformed. He doesn't want them to grieve as those that have no hope. Realize you have that same hope in Jesus. And let me clarify this hope for you. And he tells them these wonderful truths, and then he finishes out. Now, having told you that in that moment, every believer is going to be caught up 
those who died in the Lord, those who are alive when he comes, and we're going to go from perishable to imperishable, from mortal to immortal. We're going to be like him. Right? And he take, So he takes our heads into heaven, and then he says, now that I've taken your head into heaven, so, so, so you see the, the, the kingdom truth, now I want you to take your knowledge of that kingdom truth and apply it to your earthly circumstance. As he says, therefore, everybody say therefore. therefore. So he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast. See, you don't have to freak out with all that's going on. There. Be steadfast. No matter what's going on out there, it doesn't change this. Be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. See, we can stay, we can stay focused on the work of the Lord without being overly anxious about the circumstances that surround us. Because there's not a circumstance in this world that can change the fact that Jesus is coming back. He's coming to get us. He's going to take us to the place that he's prepared for us. And we need to remember that. It doesn't mean we need to be like an ostrich and stick our heads in the sand, but it does mean that we cannot lose sight of that truth, of the truth of the kingdom of God, the gospel truth, while we're facing our earthly circumstances. And if we will allow ourselves to be reminded of it, no, that's too passive. If we would remind ourselves constantly put ourselves in remembrance of the promises of God and the truth of what he's told us, right? Then we'll find ourselves being able to be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, having a peace of God that passes all understanding that will be appealing to those who don't have what we have. We'll find ourselves not having to chase some people down they'll be chasing us down wanting to know how it is you're able to keep your head about you. Don't you care about what's going on? Yeah, I care. But I know something. I know a truth that is unchanging. I know an incorruptible truth. I know I, 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 I know that my Lord and Savior is going to return. And and, 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 and some, a lot of what's going on out there in the world today grieves my heart. But I don't grieve like someone who has no hope. It can become an opportunity to introduce someone to Christ who is our hope. Are you hearing me? And it doesn't matter how frustrating it gets, how many times somebody out there, some voice in the wilderness of today's society tells you that everything is going to, uh, well, uh, I'm online and I'm in mixed company. So everything is just going to H-E double hockey sticks in a handbasket. And it gets you excited and animated and you're worried and you're fearful and you feel like you got to do something or, or, or all will be lost. No, it's not. Abound in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What you do in the Lord is not in vain. If we're about the Father's business and not our own business that we try to say is the Father's business. So we just need to be about the work of the Lord. Not Pollyannish and overly optimistic, in other words, but we put our trust in the promise of the Lord. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 1, I want to read verses 8 to 10, and I'll go back up to the top, and then we'll finish out. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. So he's writing to people who at once worshiped idols. And he's talking about their conversion, how they turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. And he says they also turned to waiting for his son from heaven. Just like he told his disciples in John 14, I got to go, but I'm coming back for you. I'm not going to leave you orphans. I'm coming back for you. Y'all are mine. If nobody else wants you, I want you. Right? I'm coming back for you. Jesus said it. Paul reinforces it. To Gentiles. Because of the word that's been preached to them, they have faith in the coming of the Lord. He will be coming for them. They too will be caught up in the air with him. Let me ask you a question. Are, are you waiting for the Lord to return? I know we're we're waiting on career opportunities. We're waiting on a lot of things. There's a lot of things that can get prioritized, but are we fervently, patiently waiting, expectantly waiting for his return? Is his return on the forefront of our mind? The Bible doesn't say when the Lord, it doesn't give us a date uh, or really much of any indication when he will come and he will shout and we will hear the trumpet will sound and the voice of the archangel and we will be caught up and meet him in the air. There's no indication of when that will happen. And I like that. There's nothing that it says has to happen first before that happens. So guess what? It could happen any day. Are we walking with God as though he can call us up any day? Or are we expecting, oh, I got, I'm 20. Hope God comes before I'm drawing Social Security. No, when we, when we, when we do that, you know, sometimes it, it puts us in a state of almost apathy where we're not urgently going about his business. But if the Lord of the house, if the master of the house can come any day, right? If all of us thought, if, all of, if I could go into scripture and, and convince you that Jesus is supposed to come at six o'clock today. No, let me, that Jesus is supposed to come at 1130 a.m. Right? What would your mindset be in that moment? Expecting Jesus to make the call. Right? Just think about that. How many of us as kids, when our parents, uh, well, those of us who were latchkey kids at one point, when, when mama said certain chores had to be done by the time she got home from work, and she got home at 5.30, 
What wasn't done at 5 o'clock? It was an urgency at 5 o'clock to get whatever wasn't done, done. Because when the master of the house comes home, right, you better not be sitting there playing, what was it back then, Atari. You better not be sitting there playing Atari with chores undone. So because there is an expectation and you can't sit around apathetic because you know there's consequences if your chores aren't done, right? Right? Likewise, when, when, when Jesus' return happens, he doesn't want us just to sit idly by and just wait for it to happen. He has given us instruction as to what he wants us to do. And he wants us to be about the Father's business. Diligently so. Vigilantly so. Be about the Father's business. With an attitude of, I'm just going to keep doing God's will until he calls, until he makes the call. I don't know when he's going to come. He could come today. He could come tomorrow. He could come next week. I don't want to be a slacker when he finally makes the call. Right? And so I think our mindset needs to be on this. Like, Lord, I need to, we need to live this day by day by day. Lord, if you come today, praise the Lord. I'll be with you. Sooner rather than later. But if you come tomorrow, I'm going to be ready. If you come next week, I'm going to be ready. If you come next month, I'm going to be ready. I don't care. However long it takes you, I'm going to live my life as though the day might be the day. And if the day, I'm gonna, and if the day wasn't the day, I'm going to lay my head down and wake up tomorrow as though tomorrow might be the day. That, the benefit of that is that I think it will ignite an urgency in us to continually be about the Lord's business. We don't want to be like the half of the, the, the ten virgins, the ones who lit their lamps and the ones who didn't have enough oil for their lamps. They missed. They didn't make preparations. But I just wanted to say that. Are we, I just wanted to challenge you with that question to make sure that we are, when it says wait for this, they're waiting for his son from heaven. They're not apathetically doing that. They are waiting on him, serving him, doing the work of the Lord. With an urgency, not knowing the day that he will come. Today might be the day. You might not know the Lord today. Today might be your day. You might not get tomorrow. Today needs to be your day. Before it's too late. And finally, it says Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. There is some debate. Does that mean delivers us from the wrath as, as it pertains to the tribulation or deliver us from the wrath as the final judgment? Until I learn otherwise, I'm going to say yes. I have vacillated on this over the years. But there is a rapture that's coming. Some believe it'll come in the middle of the tribulation. Some post, some who, it can blow your mind. We got grafted into the covenant of God after the Jews rejected Jesus as the Messiah. But God is not done with them. God is using the church mightily now. 
but he will return to his program. <laughs> he will return. He, he will reconcile. We will be reconciled with his chosen people. A lot of the uh, end times and tribulation scriptures and everything, you see everything centered around Israel, around the Jews being the 144 witnesses and all of those things. You don't really see mention of the church. I believe that's because of what we're talking about here today. Jesus is going to come. He's going to call us up. And I'm not saying necessarily that we should uh, you know, celebrate that others are going to go through the tribulation and we're not. You know, but I can just preach the word as best I can as in, the, in the understanding that God has given me. But that those of us who have decided to follow Jesus, that tribulation is not for us. The great tribulation is not for us. And, and we should be excited about that. We should rejoice in that. Well, thank you, Lord. You're saving us from the wrath to come. Um, and we'll be cheering on our brothers and sisters as they endure a horrible time. But let's not only focus on when we get into the great tribulation and all that stuff, Let's not lose sight of the fact that people will be redeemed out of that. People will be restored to God before it's too late for anyone to be reconciled to God. And so as hard as it's going to be to see and read what's going on, it is the mercy of God that these things are happening that will cause people to reassess their paradigm. <laughs> And, and it's designed to drive people out of their apathy, out of their delusion, to make them come face to face with reality and humble themselves and at least give ear to the gospel. And so that, you know, to me, that's the mercy of God. Because if he didn't really want them to be restored or redeemed, he just... He wouldn't even bother with the tribulation. He'd just take everybody out and great right throne judgment could happen today. But that's not his heart. You know, it may seem too good to be true that we would be raptured and everything, but you know what? Remember going back to the flood. Noah and his family. Everybody kept doing whatever they were doing. Noah's building a ship per God's specs. No, nothing like it had ever been built before. He didn't even know what he was building or what he was building it for. He was just obeying what God told him to do. And then he obeyed God. He got his family. He got the animals all on there two by two. And then the flood came. Well, he knew God was going to bring a flood. What he didn't know was what a flood was or what a boat was. But the point I'm making is before God brought, before the wrath of God fell, the righteous ones were cared for and made safe. The wrath of God is coming. But thanks be to Jesus. That's not something we'll have to worry about. Are you hearing me? And if you don't know Jesus today, that's not something you have to worry about. You might be you might lay up in your bed at night, thoughts running through your head, and different concerns swimming through your mind, and among those is death. How long do I have? How's it going to happen? What happens after death? 
I'm afraid to even think about it. You know, you don't have to be afraid of death. The sting of it can be taken away from you. The victory that it once had can be snatched from you. And all you have to do is bow the knee to Jesus Christ. All you got to do is accept the promise of God in Christ Jesus. The one who died for you, who paid the penalty of your sin for you, the one who has become your righteousness, who after having suffered, bled, and died in the body was raised again, resurrected and raised to heaven and seated at the right hand of the Father. The one who promised that he will come back for you. He loves you that much. He knows everything about you. And he loves you despite your worst attributes and your worst mistakes. So I would invite you to make that choice today. Do you fear death? Is it stinging you? Is it reigning victorious in your mind and in your conscience? I want you to know that you are accepted in the beloved. Hallelujah. Just play, uh, just yeah, just keep playing the music back there, and and if there's anyone who is convicted in your heart, give your either give your life to the Lord Jesus, or you found that you have wandered, strayed a bit. You just want to get your, you want to reaffirm your relationship with the Lord and get back in right standing with Him. I want to challenge you to just come on up. Don't care about any watching eyes, anything else. Just It's only about you and Jesus. The one who gave himself for you. He died for you when you were still a sinner. The one who's gone and prepared a place for you, the one who will be returning to you. Thank you, Father God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father God, thank you so much, Lord, for your for your word, for your gospel truth. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that those of us who have given our hearts to you, those of us who are your followers, your true disciples. We don't have to worry about an uncertain future because our future is secure. We don't have to worry about worsening times. We don't have to worry about trying to read the tea leaves, how things are going to fall in various aspects of our society and various places in the world. Because we have a promise. We know our victory has already been won in Jesus Christ. He has already overcome the world. So why should I worry about or fear what's going on in the world when my Savior, my Lord, is already overcoming. And 
Lord, heaven and earth will pass away, but your word will last forever. And you are from everlasting to everlasting. Hallelujah. So I pray, Father God, encouragement. I declare over this body of believers, Father God, and those who are listening online, Father God, I just, my, my prayer for them is, is that this truth of Jesus' promise that he's prepared a place for us, and at a time unknown, and a date unknown, he's going to come, and he's going to call us up to him. And we're going to meet him in the air. And we're going to take off these fleshly mortal bodies and put on immortality. What is corruptible in us is going to go away. And in its place is going to be incorruptible. And we'll be ever with you. When death and hell and Satan and the Antichrist and the false prophet and anything else that's on Satan's side are all thrown into the lake of fire, we will reign with you. We'll be with you forever. And there is nothing that can happen in this world that can change it. So the promise is secure. And Jesus, you're coming back for us. And we look forward to hearing that call, to hearing that trumpet sound. And I pray that as people meditate on what has been shared today, that they're able to be, as Paul said in 1 Corinthians, steadfast, immovable, abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that their labor is not in vain. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. I want to remind you guys that um, Bare Bones is meeting tonight uh, here. Seven. Seven o'clock, so that means no food, so you're going to have to feed yourself. That's the trick. If we say six o'clock, we're going to feed you. If we say seven o'clock, then you're on your own. So... <laughs> just give me a little peek inside <laughs> oh praise the Lord um, and uh, I wish you guys a wonderful uh, holiday weekend uh, much barbecue and, and if you don't like barbecue whatever it is that you like I like barbecue um, Lord bless you and keep you and I uh, hope to see you guys uh, Wednesday 6 to 8 and uh, Wednesdays in the Word. Uh, join us. We're starting First Peter this month. Uh, we'd love to see you out there. Lord bless you. Have a great week.